Welcome to Film Fam, inspired by true events. I'm Heather. I'm here with my husband. Hi, I'm Brian, here with my wife and daughter. Uh, that was phrased so weirdly. Uh, I'm his daughter, so we... <laughs> oh, there's some kind of punctuation. And together we are... The, the Graves. Oh, shit. Oh, no. We said the... <laughs> and we're the Grays. We're your Film Fam. Today... And for the rest of uh, the next few months of of episodes, we are going to be joined in studio, in recording studio, by Zoe Gray, who's home from college. Zoe, tell us, what is it like sitting in a recording studio, recording the thing we're recording in the studio? Um, It's way better. I don't have to have your faces really tiny on my computer. I can... Look at I, you know, I looked at my notes anyways, but I can both look at my notes and your faces. I'm. Sitting, it is nice to see our faces full size. Isn't it, it is. It is. I, I'm sitting at a table. I feel. Uh, I feel kind of. It's. It, it's not a round table. Um, and there's only three of us, but there does seem to be sort of. There's an Arthurian. There's an feeling. Arthurian mm-hmm. scent in the air. And who would you be? Um, around this table. I'm Lancelot. Sorry. Oh. Um, <laughs> With a, with a little side serving of Gawain. Oh. Ah, That's right. One. I just called Lancelot and Gawain. <laughs> well, so what movie are we doing today? I asked, like, I don't know. <laughs> Surprise. Oh, my God. Did you not do your research? You, you have no idea. You're just going to wing it. Yeah, I'm okay. going to wing it. Well, for today's episode, we are talking about the true events that inspired the 1984 supernatural comedy Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters, directed by Ivan Reitman, starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Sigourney Weaver, Rick Moranis, Ernie Hudson, all right, and written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. Yes. They already would for them. I don't need to give them doubles. But they wrote it. they did more. They did more. Woohoo. <laughs> Way more than, uh, than Bill Murray. I think didn't even read the script, right? Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> so Dan Aykroyd was inspired to write Ghostbusters. He actually came up with the idea. He was going to, um, he imagined it as a vehicle for him and uh, John Belushi. Right. And that's not how that worked out. And it ended up making Ghostbusters. I can't believe it's not butter. Or ghost bitters, what I put in my drink. Do we we make t-shirts for this? Ghost butters. Ghost Ghost butters. Comment, like, and subscribe if you want a ghost butters t-shirt. Right, because because John Belushi died while he was writing it. Yeah, yeah. Because they they'd worked together on Blues Brothers, Animal House, I think. No, Um, but Blues Brothers. Did yeah, I think Harold Ramis was oh, right. on Animal Harold House. Oh, right. Harold Ramis was with uh, Belushi, yeah. So they ended up changing it, but it was Dan Aykroyd's original um, idea, which was very different. It was like Ghostbusters in space. You know, they, they go through different <laughs> dimensions fighting de- uh, ghosts and stuff like that. And they're oh, like, why don't we keep it? Just in one place, it's going to be New York. And that place is the greatest city in the world. <laughs> okay, so we, we're going to get to how, how Dan Aykroyd was inspired to write Ghostbusters by his own 
family history. And I will take you there by starting with the two young girls where it all began. We're going to go back to 1848. To set this in some kind of context of what 1848 was, uh, Louisa May Alcott was, who wrote Little Women for people who doesn't, I don't know who wouldn't know that. She was 16 at this time and Emily Dickinson was 18. And Maggie Fox was 14 and her younger sister Kate Fox was 11. These guys didn't write anything. They're just the thing that you're going to talk about. The Fox sisters. Okay, the Fox sisters. That's such a cool last name. It is a good last name. So Maggie and her younger sister, again, 14 and 11, they're living with their parents, Mr. and Mrs. Fox, in a farmhouse in Hydesville, New York. And it would seem that Maggie and Kate are haunted by spirits. Every night they hear raps on the walls, the, the door frames of the farmhouse coming from cabinets, their bedposts are rapping. And as the nights went on, the rapping noises were getting louder and more like frenetic. Like the parents were freaking out. And then they found out that the rapping sound was coming from something intelligent because it could actually answer questions that it, mm. that the family put to it. I have a question of my own. Uh, had plumbing been invented yet? I don't know plumbing history. It's 1848. 1840. I don't know mm. either. But sometimes pipes can bang. That's true. Oh, Maybe yeah. it's pipes Especially that, in that answer these questions. So they named the, the Maggie and Kate called it Mr. Splitfoot. Oh, no. Why? <laughs> Why? First of all, if it's just some banging noise, how the fuck you know what it's foot well, because like? <laughs> Because demons, the devil, goat, no. split hooves, that kind of stuff. That's, so they had like a functional understanding of devil iconography and like rolled with it. Well, yes. I think most religious such. people learned about the devil approximately every Sunday. <laughs> so the Fox family, they invited a neighbor over to witness what was happening. And Maggie and Kate, they told the spirit, Mr. Splitfoot, to count to five. And they hear five raps. Then they say, oh, no, no, I could do more. Count to 15, 15 raps. Then they wanted to say, like, look, it even knows things on all on its own. They asked the spirit What's the age of this neighbor who just came over? 35 raps. Which, Did they know the age of the neighbor? I don't know, but that's what happened. Oh. 35 raps. That's a lot of raps to sit through, in my opinion. Yeah, you're just That takes, there, like, like, a long time. 28. <laughs> I know. 30. How old are you? 31. Maybe it was faster than that. And then they ask, if you're an injured spirit, rap three times. And they get three raps. That's probably the end of the Foley. So... The mom freaks out and she just moves her family out of the house and she sends Maggie and Kate to go live with their older married sister whose name was Leah Fox Fish. Oh my God. Fox her name fish. was Fox Fish? <laughs> yes, she was a fox Amazing. and she married a fish. That's some now she's Fox Fish. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Leah, she lived up in Rochester, New York, and the near the Finger Lakes is the area. And so. Finger Laking good. <laughs> So apparently, that was very clever. depending on how you look at it, this was a very fortuitous move or perhaps a, a poor choice. But Rochester, this whole area of New York, for a time, for like, I don't know, 30 years or something, it had been in the grips of like a religious craziness. Like all kinds of like very strong religious feelings were happening there. Mormonism was came from there. 
um, something called Millerism, which became the Seventh-day Adventists. There was a lot of like really radical Quakers. People were trying to start utopian societies. It was like a whole thing in that area mm-hmm. that people were just like, we're going to start religions. We have ideas. And, and a lot of stuff that, you know, Isn't like... Rochester where a Nexium was? Oh, that was Albany, Albany, I think. Okay. Maybe it's close, but it's up there in the... Yeah, up there. So, and like I said, there are also a lot of Quakers who were involved in women's right to vote and abolishing slavery. Oh, so some good stuff, too. Yeah, like Seneca Falls right. was, like, I think the year before this happened. So there's a lot of stuff going on um, up in that area. So Maggie and Kate and their older sister, Leah, who was like in her 30s, she tells, they tell their neighbors about, oh my God, we just had to flee the house. So there was a rapping spirit, rapping, like the sound of knocking, Wait, not rapping. was like 30 and they were like 15? Yeah, and there were other siblings. Oh, wow. Imagine ha- continuing to have kids for like 15 plus years. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um so the story about the girl spreads and some folks start to theorize like, oh, maybe the spirit was from a, wasn't there a peddler that went through your area? And like, then it mis- mysteriously disappeared. Maybe it's the ghost of a peddler and it was killed by the people who used to live in your house. And the people who used to live at the house were like, hey, now, <laughs> what? I didn't do anything. Um, so then they, they go like the neighbors they go back to the house the farmhouse and they're like let's find bones and they start digging in the cellar like they're like really I do like finding into bones. it and they do find some bones and they may have or what could be bone fragments mm. could be human could well, be not they find some things I feel like they should know if it's a bone or a bone fragment i mean what i'm saying is they find some bone fragments that could have been human Maybe. or not they don't know they'd find some stuff so back in rochester Community leaders, Isaac and Amy Post, they asked the girls if they would try to talk to the spirit of their dead daughter. And this time, the older sister, Leah, she shows that she is actually a medium as well. Oh. And she is able to manifest some rap, the rapping sound. And uh, the posts were really amazed and like really moved that they were able to communicate with their deceased daughter. And then they rented the posts. The largest hall in Rochester and 400 people came and the girls acted as mediums for various spirits that they called forth for this really large crowd. And part of the event was that the girls had to go to a private chamber and disrobe and be examined by a committee of skeptics to see if they could find anything that the girls were holding or using to like create these sounds. What are their parents doing? They're just like, yeah, go ahead, do this shit. Yeah, and the girls are 14 and 11. Yeah. <laughs> go disrobe in a room with some Skeptics. weird psychologists. <laughs> so the story that the girls could speak to spirits, it spread really far. And Leah started charging visitors a dollar each to um, attend seances performed by the girls. Oh, I go to a seance for a dollar. <laughs> At one point, maybe the spirits got tired of being on display all the time because they spelled out, we will now bid you farewell. And then they departed and they stopped. And then they returned after like two weeks. (laughs) Those girls were like, we need a day on the beach. (laughs) I'm imagining like, you know, like a a Ouija board and uh, a ghost spelling out just something that's way longer than it has to be just to mess with you. It's like, (laughs) I have heard the question you asked. (laughs) In response to said question, I refer back to 
what was said yesterday. And, and you're writing down all the letters. And it's letter by letter. Why? And then at the end, yes. they, they never answer because they're just messing with you. And you don't even have a Ouija board, so it's also just a series of raps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One rap for A, a two, two raps for, for B. B. Okay, 26. <laughs> it just spells gone fishing. <laughs> so about this time, a man in Poughkeepsie, New York, Andrew Jackson Davis who claimed mm, to we be... We love people who are named after <laughs> Andrew Jackson. <laughs> he claimed, and Davis. He claimed to be clairvoyant, and he said that he had predicted that the girl, this, the girl's powers. He also practiced magnetic healing. I think he just rubs magnets on your <laughs> injured parts or something. I'm not sure. So anyway, he kind of like inserted himself into their story about what they were doing. And he said that he had received a spiritual message, like a vision that told him that... The spirits that were communicating with the girls were existing on like a higher plane and that they could be contacted and they could give you answers to like important questions and they were more wise and moral than earthly humans. So he invited the girls to his home to put on a show and that way he could share his message to like a wider audience because he didn't actually have, he wasn't like a famous guy. He was just a, a small time clairvoyant magnet healer but he's putting himself into their story and he's like talk to these spirits and uh through a medium and then you can get special insight into like your fate or what you need to do and that's so it's kind of like tarot cards in some ways you right. know like you're gonna look at this for some kind of answers to your questions that you can't just get answers from you're you're looking to some kind of outside force and that's the beginning of this new religion called spiritualism. Oh, what? Yes. Alistair Crowley's spiritualism, you mean? The spiritualism of sitting around at a table, doing seances, <laughs> doing rapping, ectoplasm, all of that. Hell was yeah. these two wow. girls and what they were doing was what started Good it. Good for them. I hope, you know, their spirits uh, feel glad that they created that. <laughs> Should so we this, do a seance and try to call on their board. spirits? <laughs> To help with our podcast. To tell us if ghosts are real. Well, we'll let's hear this story and see what we decide. So the spiritualism, it's all about contacting spirits that are dwelling in a higher realm and have like information that you could use. And then also about the afterlife. So by 1851, Maggie is 17 now, Kate's 14, and there are more than 100 spirit mediums in New York City. Wow. Just in the city. Uh, lots of people are like, oh, hey, I can talk to ghosts too. Let's get in on this. And Kate and Maggie are traveling around the U.S. doing shows, um, showing their rapping spirits to the larger audiences. And uh, Leah stays in New York and does seances there. Then next year, four years after it started, so four years since Mr. Splitfoot and all that, Maggie's 17, almost 18, Kate's 15, and Maggie meets Alicia Kane Kent, a famous explorer and son of the wealthy, a wealthy, influential Philadelphia family. And they start a long distance relationship because she's touring and he's an explorer. He's actually an Arctic explorer, but uh, he explores other places, but that's what they call him. Um, and they were in love, but he thought that they were frauds and being used by their older sister, Leah, just to make money. And he wanted Maggie to quit and marry him. So she did quit practicing spiritualism. She quit being a medium, maybe for him, maybe for herself. Maybe mm -hmm. she didn't want to do it. Um, and she said that they were secretly married in um, 1856, but he died in 1857 from a sickness he picked up while traveling. And his rich family said, we don't think you're ever married. Prove it. And she couldn't. And she said, you're no one to us. They didn't even allow her to come to the funeral. They just ignored her. 
And uh, she wow. started drinking after that. And um, maybe as a reaction to his parents, she published their love letters, her uh, Alicia's love letters, yes. called How The cool. Love Life of Dr. Kane. Oh, what a baller move. And she's I like, support that 100%. <laughs> she gave up her career as a medium for that dude. Didn't even get his money. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> while Maggie was out of the business, Kate and her older sister Leah continue touring across the U.S. They go to Britain. Kate becomes an even more accomplished medium. She's translating spirit messages by like writing in reverse script or writing with two hands or somehow just making words appear on blank cards. And Leah is helping manage her and getting her invited to all the best places. And in London society at the time, it became very popular for the elite, for the aristocracy to host seances, which I have seen in a variety of the British mystery shows that I watch of different time periods of people hosting seances. And then usually someone's murdered and they have to figure out what happened. So... The Civil War happens, 1861, 1865, and that brings a lot more people into spiritualism because they want to be able to talk to the family members who passed away or who were killed during the war. By the 1880s, there are around 8 million spiritualists, people identifying as spiritualists in the U.S. and in Europe. And at this point, Lil' Kate, uh, she's in her early 40s, and crowds that come to see her really expect big things at every show. She's under a lot of pressure. She's been doing this since she was 11. And she starts drinking. I mean, she was actually started drinking kind of early, but she's drinking more and more and be developing like a problem. Um, then in 1888, the New York World, which is a newspaper, publishes an interview, a scoop with Maggie. Um, it's 40 years after they first made their claims. And Maggie is says she's going to publicly denounce spiritualism on stage mm. at the New York Academy of Music. And the New York World newspaper is paying her uh, $1,500 for the exclusive. And Leah, the, sis the older sister, the one who set it up as a business, who like helped even make it into a religion and make it a thing that was happening all over the U.S. and Europe, she is furious. And so are a lot of other spiritualists who identify with this as their religion. They accuse Maggie of just being greedy saying she just wants the money because they're paying her to do this. And also that the spirits just don't want to talk to her anymore because she turned her back on them a while back. And so they're not, you know, they're not friendly to her anymore. But Kate was actually in the audience and kind of giving Maggie her support and being like, huh. yeah, I'm here for you with this. Sisterly bonds. Right. And Leah, so Leah accused Kate of drinking and saying she's an unfit mother. Oh, shit. Don't don't do the mother thing. So on stage in front of this big crowd and the press, um, Maggie says, and I'm going to quote, my sister Katie and myself were very young when this horrible deception began. At night when we went to bed, we would tie an apple on a string and make the and pull the string up and down, causing the apple to bump on the floor. Or we would drop an apple on the floor and it made a strange uh, noise every time it would rebound. And they says she said they graduated from apple dropping to cracking their knuckles and joints and toes. And if they put it up against something, it would make like a noise that it was hard to hear where it was coming from. Huh. She said, a great many people, when they heard the rapping, imagine at once that spirits are touching them. It's a very common delusion. Some very wealthy people came to see me years ago when I lived on 42nd Street and I did some rappings for them. I made the spirit rap on the chair and one of the ladies cried out, I felt the spirit tapping me on the shoulder. It was pure imagination. Then she removes her shoe and put her foot up on the stool. 
And then they could hear it, the sound of tapping. And she was just moving her big toe like sharply against the stool and it made a sound. And for some reason, it, when it's touching something, it would like reverberate in a way that you couldn't tell exactly where it was coming from. Right. Well, of course they're going to hate her for this because like magician's code, like mm-hmm. don't reveal. I mean, I bet there are people who really believed in it, that, but then also yeah. people who did the same thing and made money off it. <laughs> right. So Maggie said that her older sister, Leah, knew that their rapping was fake from the beginning, and she exploited the girls for money, and then Maggie thanked God that she was able to expose spiritualism, and uh, she leaves. So the press declared Maggie's performance a, quote, death blow to spiritualism, because they're really good at wordplay. That's one of the good things. That... Yeah, that was really clever. <laughs> but the spiritualist movement, well, they weren't moved. They said, <laughs> see what I did there? Uh, uh... They said that Maggie just did it for the money, or others were like, she is a real medium, but she's being controlled by dark forces who are telling her to say that it's not true. So they were just telling themselves what they wanted to hear, basically. But then, in a turn of events, a year later, Maggie recanted the confession Uh-oh. that the origin story of spiritualism was totally faked, and she said the spirits told her to say it. Oh, girl, you can't have it both ways. And under... Oh, she can. can oh, she can, because then under a pseudonym, she's going into clubs and revealing the tricks of how to what? do it and showing how they could write messages with their feet and stuff and like just showing different things. I mean, is it not just completely logical? I, I don't see any way this, that this fails logic that some people could be tuned in and other people are using tricks because they're not tuned in and they can't do this. Well, that's right. what they said. That's what the spiritualists, you know, they have some reason why what she said was incorrect. Um, so she's trying to work both fronts, right? Because spiritualism was how she and her sisters made money. It's how they kept a roof over their head. It's what gave them financial independence and the ability to like travel around the world. And mediumship, being a medium, was one of the very few fields where a woman could have that kind of independence. Um, And so in some ways, it was good for women because like vaudeville didn't exist yet. The idea that a woman could just travel around and do what she wanted. And like, it was just very rare that that could happen. And now I'm thinking about the, the, in uh, Jaws, when they say you need a bigger boat, it's because they only have a medium ship. Okay. I'm cutting that out. <laughs> so I this like... Is what happens when you're not the editor of your own podcast. <laughs> so there's a quote I like about spiritualism from an article in the Paris Review that I'm going to read uh, that kind of explained to me some about why people got so into this that it became a religion at the time. In the 1840s and 50s, advances in science and technology seemed to be eradicating the America of Washington, Jefferson, and Jackson, in which many of the older generation had grown up. The railroads and the telegraph had opened up the country, mass production, mass immigration were transforming the characters of its cities, and Darwin's theories were questioning the most basic assumptions about life and death. As science challenged all the old sureties, spiritualism offered a way of clinging to the past. Far from rejecting science and rational thinking, spiritualists believed that they were on the cutting edge, using scientific method to prove the existence of God and the afterlife. Many ordinary Americans struggled to see that there was anything more outlandish in spiritualism than in any other scientific marvel that were transforming their world. The very sound of rapping echoed the sound of new telegraph machines that, seemingly by magic, allowed people in New York to instantaneously communicate with people in Boston, Los Angeles, or even on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, yeah, they did feel like it was 
science. That was one of the things with um, well, Lady Blavatsky, who was uh, around the same time, I think. Um, and that was like the beginning of the whole like hermetic order of the Golden Dawn mm-hmm. with Aleister Crowley and stuff. But people who, you know, parapsychologists or ologists, they, they think that they're using the scientific method and like blending. That's like what alchemy was. Like we're going to use science to try to figure out religion the or unknown, magic which right. is what all scientists are trying to do but right. i think and, and some people are better at the science coming up at right about the same time as electricity is right. becoming known by people and uh, they kind of go hand in hand that um, electrical influence electrical reactions magnetism all that stuff yeah. uh, goes along with uh, uh you know testing a house out for are there spirits it's like uh well, okay, the light's flickering. Is it, you know, is are, are there electromagnetic waves or Yeah, I actually have some things that tie into that. Um, so, which I'm about to get to. Maggie, though, she never reconciled with Leah, her older sister. Mm-hmm. And Leah died in 1890. Kate died from the results of drinking uh, two years later in 1892. And Maggie died in 1893. Also in 1893, this spiritualists formed the national spiritualist association so it became like a organized religion the same year she died the nsa (laughs) believers and members of spiritualist organizations included sir arthur conan doyle the author of sherlock holmes and charles dickens who together started the ghost club in london yeah thomas edison this is why I'm getting around to your electricity, who wanted to develop a spirit phone to call the dead. Oh, God, I wish I had a... F- yeah. <laughs> Mary Todd Lincoln, who organized seances in the White House. Wow. And many Quaker and who were women... Was- yes, he was a little later. Right. Like, he joined the Ghost Club, but a little later than this. Right. But yeah, uh, Yates. Um, and many Quakers who were part of, again, women's right to vote and abolition of slavery... And that's how spiritualism became associated with those good causes, because a lot of early spiritualists were radical Quakers. Wow. So another person who was a spiritualist was Samuel Aykroyd. Yes. Dan Aykroyd's great-grandfather. I this ties in. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> that's the whole Sometimes point. I'm is just there a listening to a nice story. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd's father, Peter, told Dan that when he, Peter, was a child, he would spy on his grandfather's regular seances. For a while, the Ackroyd household even had a live-in medium named Walter Ashurst, who would hold weekly seances for the Ackroyd family and other visitors. Fuck acting, that's my job now. I want to be a live-in <laughs> medium. medium. What, you get to live in rich people's houses and you just have to do seances Yeah, once like a once week? a week. That sounds so fun. Babe, you're a good actress, you could do it. Oh, it's, it's you gotta learn to. Acting. It's a ghost skill. But you gotta you learn be, to wrap be your. in small. <laughs> oh God, God. <laughs> um, so Samuel, the great grandfather, was a dentist by trade, and he kept notes of all the seances. And he also did his own experiments into the supernatural. He wanted to try to provoke the materialization of spirits, like ectoplasm. Sure, sure. And he took notes on his his experiments that he did. Um, ectoplasm is like a gooey material that sometimes would appear in seances and they kept these notes and they also they had subscriptions to like journals like the american society for psychical research yes in different journals on i i mentioned that one actually oh yeah my thing yeah (laughs) the society for psychical research and other books on the occult and so when 
Dan Aykroyd was little, these were all still in the house because it's still the same house that his parents, that his great grandfather had. And he looked through all these and read them. And, and it was just part of their family history. Like his, um, father's uncle his name was maurice and he tried to create a radio that you could tune to talk to ghosts dan's Ackroyd's mother said she saw the ghosts of samuel and his wife and i wish i knew her name when dan was born and so it's all these stories that were really part of his family story the notes that he could read the books the magazines that were all in this house that inspired him to write ghostbusters wow wow based on the true story of the fox sisters thank you Rap, rap. Rap, rap. <laughs> I don't know why I just like, rap, rap. That was a rap session. Oh, um, yeah. Great. Now dad's puns <laughs> are picked. Sorry, pick- it's really bad at <laughs> Oh, no. You rap three times, but all three are DJ Jazz Jeff and the Fresh Prince. So. Okay. How about you, Brian? What do you have over there? True stories. Uh, I decided to look into buildings because in the movie... A, a big cornerstone of the plot is that the building that Dana Barrett lives in is designed to drive the plot of this movie. It's <laughs> <laughs> they make up a whole, uh, a whole bunch of techno babble about how the building was constructed so that it could pull in ghosts and, and attract, uh, basically allow the uh, Sumerian god Gozer What's Gozer? Well, Gozer Gozer the Traveler. He will come in one of the pre-chosen forms. During the rectification of the Voldryani, the Traveler came as a large moving torque. Then, during the third reconciliation of the last of the McKetrick supplicants, they chose a new form for him, that of a giant slore. Many shows and zools (laughs) knew what it was to be roasted in the depths of the slore that day, I can tell you. (laughs) Um, Rick Marianas. So, the building described in the movie... um, was inspired essentially originally uh, by a coffee table book uh, called Rooftops of New York. And it showed some stuff that interested them. Like some buildings in New York had shrines or temples on the top of them or had weird gothic points of architecture. That's cool. And uh, they, they took inspiration from this to say, you know, the building itself could be built in such a way that it is itself spiritual. Um, and so what they came up with was that the, um, uh, the roof cap was made of a magnesium tungsten alloy. Uh, I looked a little bit into this, uh, hard to find real examples of a magnesium tungsten alloy. Uh, is it, it turns out tungsten is super hard, magnesium not. Tungsten is super heavy, almost as heavy as gold. Uh, magnesium is one-tenth the density, and you can alloy them. There were some academic papers, um, but none of these alloys seem to hit that sweet spot of some kind of useful property, (laughs) useful for a purpose that doesn't have something else that's just as useful but cheaper. And so that, that, that was the roof cap. And then they described the structure of the building as uh, using cold riveted girders with cores of pure selenium. Mm. I took this part a little bit. Uh, first off, the cold riveted girders. Absolutely normal in every steel building. <laughs> uh, okay, I believe that the building has that because there's nothing special about it. The cores of pure selenium is 
interesting. They are uh, not in any way structural. Uh, selenium doesn't make anything useful uh, for, for structure, but they are used in solar cells, photoconductors, rectifiers, uh, manganese electrolysis. Uh, and since spirits are electromagnetic energy, uh, this could be somehow related. Uh, also back to the, um, the magnesium tungsten alloy, the, uh, there are some uh, calcium and magnesium tungstenates that are used in fluorescent lighting. So they have some application in something electrical. Um, so there's some way that you could say that what they said was not just, they didn't, they didn't throw darts at a, at, a, at a periodic table and say, okay. let's <laughs> use those elements. Maybe they, they decided, uh, uh, you know, they, they decided that we could um, look at some stuff that is used in applications where the lay person doesn't actually know how it works and say, well, why not? That could work here. Um, having a selenium cord or a girder though, um, if it goes above 120 degrees Fahrenheit, it starts to soften and compromise the structural integrity of the girders. So in a New York City summer, it would be, yeah, yeah, it, it would be, I guess if you could design a girder that's structurally sound when hollow, then that'd be okay. So what if the selenium softens, but the rest of the girder has to be, you have to make sure that if the selenium weren't there, if it were hollow, that it would support the building. Um, that's, that's what they say in the movie. Uh, and so it occurs to me, well, what about in real life? Have buildings been constructed with spirits in mind? Uh, and yes, a lot of them have been constructed with spirits Ooh. in mind, mostly keeping spirits out. Ooh. Since like in Supernatural, they have like a bunker in the basement that they have like runes on the floor, like can't come in. Yes. Just put salt around it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> since time immemorial. Oh, all the way back to then. Yes. Oh. Since the days of your yesteryear. <laughs> uh, buildings, when things had an extra E at the end. Buildings mm. had been designed uh, for whatever superstitions predominated the, uh, the locality as to how to keep evil spirits out. And spirits were just evil. Um, an interesting one is uh, Hiji Castle uh, in uh, Beppu Bay in Japan. Uh, construction started in 1601, uh, overlooking the bay. And in Japanese belief, ghosts come into buildings from the northeast corner. To fortify that side. It's referred to as the kimon or demon gate. Ooh. Uh, and it's a bad place to put a door or window or mm. plumbing. That, that corner should, should just be wall, <laughs> basically. Uh, and then have your door somewhere else so that the spirits can't enter. That makes sense. Yeah. So in Hiji Castle, they went a step further. And on the north, uh, what, what did I say? The northeast corner, they built a guard tower to watch for evil spirits. And then the guard tower itself has its northeast corner cut off, and it's diagonal <laughs> oh, cool. on the northeast oh. corner for extra protection. So the guard tower doesn't <laughs> have right. a corner, and it protects the northeast corner oh, of like that. the because main castle. Because the person castle. who's there is in the most danger. So Whoever's in the guard tower? Right, because they're the one that the spirits are going to get to first, so it makes sense to fortify it. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that was interesting. But I was able to find one interesting one built in part to attract spirits. Oh. Yes. Uh, it's the George Stickney Mansion in Bull Valley, Illinois. Uh, 
And it kind of lines up with, uh, with, with Heather, with your story about when this stuff all started coming about, uh, because it was built by George and Sylvia Stickney in 1865. Okay, yeah. Right after the Civil War. Right. Uh, so and, spiritualism uh, was happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's pretty remote. It's safe from nosy neighbors in a sparsely populated area. Um, and the Stickneys were free to practice their fervent belief in spiritualism. They were both mediums, uh, and they would, uh, they would host seances. Uh, they thought the spirit world could speak to and through them, and the house was designed to allow the otherworldly visitors to move freely. So the belief is that spirits can get stuck in corners. Mm-hmm. The house was designed with no 90-degree angles. Oh, wow. Uh, that's amazing. And, and, and looking at That'd it... That'd be crazy to live in. <laughs> looking at it, no angles at all. It's, uh, every corner was rounded. Oh. Uh, none of the architecture met at a sharp angle. Um, That's kind of like that... Um, there, there's like a, a, a riddle where it's like someone died in like a perfectly spherical house... Who did it? The you know the gardener, or and it's always the maid who was dusting the corners. And you're like, there were no corners. It was a spherical. This is that house. A spherical building. That's wow. That would be quite a building. <laughs> the second floor was one big massive ballroom. That's where they did the seances mm. on the second floor, um, for the couple and their friends to commune with the dead. Uh, among the many denizens of the spirit world who supposedly spoke to the Stickneys were their own dead children, uh, which was part of the impetus to build the building. Okay. Uh, they wanted to make sure that their their children's spirits, uh, and they had lost a few children, uh, could enter easily and not get stuck and come and go as they pleased. Uh, George Stickney himself passed away... or passed into the legend of the house, allegedly found dead in a corner of the home that was accidentally built at <laughs> forbidden 90 degrees. Oh, no. <laughs> really? No. The bad corner. No, not, I thought it was really. Not really. I mean, it, it became a folk legend, but a survey of the house revealed no 90 degree angles. They built it properly. We have no 90 degree angles in this room. We don't. and Including I, the ceiling. And in looking at this room... And I, I thought about this room, uh, for, for our listeners, we're in a recording studio that doesn't have 90 degree angles. It doesn't have parallel walls because we don't want the sound bouncing back and forth indefinitely. We want it to disperse and become just noise and not become signal that messes up with the other signal. Mm. So that's also applicable to ghosts. But I think... I think we did this better because <laughs> they kind of cheated in rounding. I've seen the building. I've yeah, seen, I just looked it I've up on the, the internet the floor so I could plan, look at it. And it's a square building. It is 90 degrees. It's parallel walls. It's just, they just rounded the corners. It's like, okay, kind of cheating there. This recording studio has sharp angled walls. They meet properly, but... But I did the geometry, and none of them are 90 degrees. So <laughs> it's like, I think you I put in the work. a spiritualist architect. Yes. Yeah. A and really our good sharp, one. Our sharp corners, they do the opposite. They actually have base traps to trap 
the energy in the corner. Oh, we could get some, have some ghosts in the corners. Yeah. yeah. We could have ghosts along with all I of our bass sound that's just, that's just hanging out there. You know, I just, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but I made those notes to talk about the studio. <laughs> and, and, and under the, uh, under the heading, they cheated though. I'm not, because okay. they just made it. I'm going to read. I mean, a lot of this is uh, is repeated, but I, I think it's funny. I'm going to read my notes verbatim. Uh, heading. They cheated, though. Point one. The house is a freaking square with rounded corners. <laughs> Point two. No doubt all the rooms are the same, built with 90 degree angles that are just rounded instead of designing a house with weird angles. Number three. My music studio is better. <laughs> so here's where we should, you know, when we lived in South Bend, Indiana, we had a storm shelter in the basement that we would go in if there was a tornado. Oh, yeah. So this is like our ghost shelter. But I thought the, the corners were so they don't get trapped. They can come and go freely. Right. So this is like oh. the opposite of a ghost shelter. It's like a ghost party room. <laughs> oh, you had, you sold me on it there at the end. You saved it and twisted it around and made it a good thing. So a building made to keep spirits out a building made to allow spirits in um and now i kind of wanted to jump to a different part of the movie where they uh, new york is as much a character as any of the other characters in the movie in fact i think the last line in the movie is winston saying i love this town it's all about new and in the sequel mm-hmm. there's lots it of is. new york yeah stuff. yeah so uh, i looked for hauntings in new york inspired by the uh the hotel, their first big job that actually pays uh, was getting that, that Slimer out of the hotel. Uh, so I looked for hotels and I found a pretty cool one, uh, the Algonquin Hotel in New York City. It was, uh, it was host to a group of people, famous people. Uh, it's called the Vicious Circle or, or the Algonquin Roundtable. Yeah, I know about these folks, but go on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and the Vicious Circle started up in an interesting way. This, this is not ghost-related, but just fun. Uh, so uh, a, a drama critic uh, from the New, York's Ti- New York Times, Alexander Woolcott, uh, he refused to plug Eugene O'Neill in his column. And uh, Eugene O'Neill's agent, John Tuohy, uh, organized a luncheon supposedly to welcome Woolcott back from World War I, where he'd been a correspondent for Stars and Stripes. But he actually killed him. <laughs> and then his ghost haunts. <laughs> That's a little too straight a line here. Um, uh, instead, Tui used the occasion to roast Wolcott and uh, say a lot of uh, uh, semi-playful barbs at his expense. Uh, and uh, Wolcott loved it and suggested that they all continue to meet there and exchange barbs. This is like a, the beginning of the roast sesh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, charter members included uh, uh, Wolcott and Tui, but also Dorothy Parker, mm-hmm. George S. Kaufman, Robert Benchley. Uh, and it, it, it caught Is on. Is that the dude who wrote Jaws? No, that's Peter. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, later, time period. Later members uh, included uh, Tallulah Bankhead, Noel Coward, Blythe Daly, Harper Marx. Uh, I, so, I knew one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have minded exchanging. No, wait. No, Howard is the one who wrote *Blythe Spirit*, which is what I was thinking yeah. about earlier, because that is a spiritualist thing. Yeah, oh, it there is. You go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they full vicious circle. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, played cribbage and poker, cracked wise, uh, exchanged witticisms, and they liked their practical jokes. Uh, it sounds like a fun group. Um, they commissioned a portrait of Wolcott for the room. 
Uh, but they made many copies of this portrait, each more askew than the last. <laughs> and they, they, they kept swapping it out. Oh, my God. Uh, and uh, every once in a while, they'd, they'd say, is, is there something wrong with your portrait? And eventually, it's really askew. Yeah, that's a thing online right now. That's a prank that people have been doing where you, like, go and you photoshop, you take a picture of, like, you with a friend and you photoshop one of their eyes to, like, be kind of, like, wonky on their face <laughs> and then send them the photo and be like, can I post this photo of us and, and see if they're like, no, I look really weird in that. And be like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's like a whole thing that's going. And it's literally like yeah. an old timey version of that. Yeah, yeah. But in this case, they, you know, it's not photographs. It's I mean, they had to paint. They, had, they hired a painter to paint it like, gradually more and more askew. I'm very into that. I'm wondering, like, is it just the whole thing that they just turn a little bit, or? Is it like the same background, but Wolcott in the middle, the person yeah. is more askew on the same background? What I would like to be my new life goal is to collect all of them, all the paintings as it gets more and more askew and we could have it. We just, we just put them up the stairs, you know, as, yeah. as you walk up the stairs. <laughs> it gets more and more I askew. I love that. Sure. If anyone has any leads on where to buy a Wolcott original weird painting. Yes. A Wolcott original. We, we are... We're in, in the market. market. So... As far as the hotel is concerned, this group uh, seems to be haunting it. Uh, various people from the group. Uh, over the years, uh, both employees and guests have reported hearing disembodied footsteps in empty hallways and spotting ghostly apparitions around the building, especially in the lobby and dining room, which are adjacent to the room that this group met in. Now, they used to meet in the dining room, and then they got big enough they had to be moved to their own room because they were taking up too many tables. Uh, one woman allegedly heard I'm in the mood for love while she was in the elevator sung by Vicious Circle songstress Dorothy Fields. Uh, another guest had the fortune of having two ghost run-ins. Uh, in one instance, he was awakened by a tapping sound from the bathroom. In the other, he was followed back to his room by some spirit's disembodied footsteps. Wait, so what you're saying is these people just had like a club meeting and people didn't know they were there and thought they were ghosts? No. No, the people now. in the club were being haunted. No, this no. goes on now. People now are being oh. haunted by the... Oh my the... God, now? Yeah, people oh. now or, you know, since oh, after that are being then. haunted by Dorothy Parker, oh, Tallulah awesome. Bankhead, because, Noel Coward. Because maybe this was a lot of fun for them. And in the afterlife, they're like, I had fun there. I'm going to go back to that hotel and... I am self-selected to a group of people who like to do practical jokes. Yeah. That is gnarly as hell. So I'm going to haunt. Because what could be more fun than that? I mean, what else are you doing after you're dead? I mean, who knows? Right, right. <laughs> um, and this, this was interesting. I, I wonder, I don't have verification, but I wonder if this inspired the scene at the library with the librarian uh, because uh, the ghost of poet Dorothy Parker, who allegedly tried to kill herself at the Algonquin, uh, reportedly once shushed a, uh, a gang of 12 children who were being a bit too loud. <laughs> and so in the, in the movie, in the library, they approach a ghost of a librarian who shushes them. And why right. not? Dorothy Parker was awesome. I don't know if you guys are fans. She was very, how would you, acerbic? <laughs> you know, she was witty. She was like a, a curmudgeon kind of very funny. I really like, I like her and I want to go here and see her sure. ghost and have her ghost it. shush me. Is it me. New York City? Yes. Yes. We could just go there. We could. 
Uh, and the hotel has a tradition, a sort of uh, mini exorcism held every New Year's Eve, uh, where the staff members dim all the lights and march through the building while banging on cookware in hopes of warding off anything sinister. I feel like our New Year's plans have to be more ghost-related. So, yeah, that's... The Algonquin Hotel was, I don't know if it's the most haunted hotel, but it was the most interestingly haunted <laughs> hotel in New York City, in my sole opinion. That is great. Can uh, I just give, can I say a couple of things that Dorothy Parker said? Yeah, sure. She said, you can lead a horticulture, but you can't make her think. Oh, <laughs> I've heard that. I have heard that too. I've heard I didn't that. I that started That's with her. And in her, poa, her poetry book, um, Enough Rope, she wrote, Razors pain you, rivers are damp, acids stain you, drugs cause cramp, guns aren't lawful, nooses give, gas smells awful, you might as well live. <laughs> she was dark. Yeah, yeah. go off, Dorothy. <laughs> uh, so the second place I found that, again, has some kind of relevance to Ghostbusters um, even if I need to stretch to make it work, fine. It's my podcast. Uh, <laughs> is Grand Central Station? Oh. Uh, in the the first movie, there's a uh, a newscaster talking about the success of the Ghostbusters, and he says something like, "My grandparents used to tell me of a spectral locomotive that would run through the farm, mm-hmm. and so a ghost yeah. train." And yeah. then in the second Ghostbusters movie. They actually have a ghost train. When they go underground, uh, They Winston uh, gets run over by a ghost train. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, Grand Central Station um, has had its run-ins with spirits. Uh, a police officer convinced a ghost who was hanging out in Grand Central to migrate south to Florida for the winter <laughs> to escape the winter chill. Uh until then, platforms for the, the platform for tracks 112 and 114 had been haunted, um, and that ghost has not been back since, since uh, convinced to migrate south. <laughs> uh, uh, if you go around tracks 112 and 113 to the elevator, uh, you might hear uh, President FDR's dog Fala barking. People have heard this because he had his own private underground route. Um, A lot of there's a tunnel entrance uh, that opened opposite the Waldorf Waldorf Astoria, uh, and guests with private railroad cars could go directly to the hotel from their private railroad uh, beneath the hotel. Um, And it also served as private railroad siding for the rich, uh, but that had passed. They could park their automobiles and take an elevator up. Uh, this also served FDR, who could safely uh, travel safely and securely from the White House to the Waldorf Astoria. Uh, but people going down in that area now hear footsteps and breathing sounds uh, attributed to wealthy people who had passed and are now uh, frequenting that area. Uh, the one thing I want to go down there that you can't do yeah. anymore is take the FDR elevator, which has been welded shut. Ooh. I think that would be a nice tourist attraction. Yeah, but, the FDR uh, elevator. But they don't want people messing with that. Um, over a century ago, one night a frightened gray-haired man wearing a black hat 
came up to the station agent on duty at Grand Central Terminal and said, the midnight train to hell is coming for me. Oh. I have committed too many crimes against man and sins against heaven. And Dude. That is incredible. <laughs> that's the coolest thing I've heard all day. I'm going to write a short story that's just about that guy. The station agent reassured him uh, no, that... the train uh, to hell no, doesn't stop here. There's no, there's no train to hell. We have... Uh, we have an 1158 from Croton on the Hudson and a 1202 from New Haven. But uh, no, no, no connection with any infernal agents or railroad stops down below. Uh, but then suddenly a steam whistle blew and, and the, uh, the station agent heard it. A smoking steam locomotive could be observed even though the tracks are electric. There's never been a steam locomotive down Dude, there. the devil train is coming for him. You know, we just watched Ghost World. It's kind of uh, <laughs> end of Ghost World. Yeah. Uh, and then after the steam whistle goes, the, uh, the old gray-haired man disappeared. Just the black hat remained on the floor of Grand Central Terminal. Yeah. I love yep. these ghost stories. Yep. Uh, and then something that you could visit now is called the Campbell Apartment. This is... I don't even know why this exists. It's kind of cool. In Grand Central Station, there is... Oh, yeah. Um, there's an extra room. Yeah. That um, it, it was the office and salon of a big money man in New York, John Campbell. After he died, they, they repurposed it into a police utility closet, and, and it was a jail for a period of time. Uh, and now it has been turned into a, uh, a luxury cocktail den that you can go to. Huh. Uh, is it haunted? Well, uh, owner and operator Mark Grosick says, and I quote, Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, he continues on, and I'm not bullshitting you here. So great quotes from this guy. New Yorkers are just the best. <laughs> uh, employees have had instances where they felt someone pushing them from behind when they were walking across the floor and there was no one there. Uh, get gusts of cold air uh, come out of nowhere. Uh, they reported seeing apparitions of an old fashionably dressed couple sitting and having a cocktail on the balcony when the place was completely closed. Uh, and nothing bad has really happened yet. Uh, if there are ghosts in the Campbell apartment, they are very fashionable and friendly ghosts, and they've had no instances of glasses being thrown on the floor or anything like that. Keep in mind, this is Mars Mark Grosick, owner and operator, saying these things, saying that there's nothing dangerous, it's only amusing, and you should come check mm. it out and please patronize my place. <laughs> uh, but the other stuff that's, that, that doesn't seem so markety uh, is from employees. Okay. No complaints from customers, but the place is very busy, and customers wouldn't know the difference if they felt a, a gust of wind. Mm -hmm. uh, they might think it's poorly insulated or the AC is making that wind, but, but the employees, all the, time. the employees know what it should feel like mm -hmm. and they're feeling these things. Wow. Wow. Uh, so finally, uh, seven signs, your building may be haunted. <gasps> yes. Let's cut them off for our house. Okay. Okay. Cold spots and sudden changes in temperature. Yes. Yeah. Definitely yeah, by that. the window in the cozy room. That's true. My, right by that window. My is, room is, is way a, hotter your than Your room is a hot house. spot and underneath is a cold spot. Your room sucks up all the heat. Yeah. Uh, spikes in electromagnetic field readings. Yeah, our Wi-Fi has been real in and out, you know? <laughs> is, that what, is that what that means? Number three. Uh, lights flickering on and off. 
we do have that in the hallway in the oh, yeah, in the entryway the light oh, just turns yeah. and the hall upstairs uh light in the hallway Wait, turns off and on it does it does yeah and doors slamming shut the door is always bathroom slowly shuts yeah, <laughs> it selectively closes in any cat that gets in. There. Yeah, anytime yeah, our cats a pet goes in there, it gets, the they get shut in. They shut it on themselves. Unexplained smells. Yeah, Do yeah. We have one? There is unexplained smell. We have an unexplained smell. We we well, did. At one time, there was, was a weird washcloth that just showed up. <laughs> oh my god, yes, that, that belonged to none of us and was just in our house. Like, what the fuck is this? Uh, yeah, is that there, one of them washcloth apparitions? Uh, let me let me look at that. <laughs> We'll get to it. Uh, no, they get a little more serious. The last two are seeing unexplained shadows and apparitions. I well, I think Mackers sees something because she gets all excited. Oh, she does. Rah, 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 and there's never anything and there. Sometimes our cats in. will like, yeah, their backs will ruffle and they'll, yeah. they'll jump yeah. up. So maybe the animals can see it. And finally, hearing voices or someone calling your name. I actually do think, I heard. I hear shouting out my window sometimes. You know how sometimes you just hear like shouting and like screaming from down the block or somewhere mm-hmm. out the window? Or over the water. That top. creeps me out when it's nighttime and it's just like screaming. I hear sounds. It goes like this. <laughs> I, no, my sounds are the tennis <laughs> courts no. there down the street. <laughs> I hear sounds that go, Brian, we will kill you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's also the tennis courts. <laughs> I guess I'll do my thing first then. Well, okay, actually, here's something funny. You're third, I'm sorry. It's too late to go first. I had... <laughs> I have this whole story that I prepared, and and don't worry, listeners, I have my weird, useless trivia as per usual. But there's we not love as much... this trivia, and it's very useful. And we yes. impl- apply it in our everyday life. There's not as usual. much for this movie because most of it is just this movie was ad libbed. Here's a line that was ad libbed. Here's a line that was ad libbed. It's just a lot of SNL people that were very, very good at improv. Apparently, like basically, no scene was exactly as it was written bill murray improved most of his lines which good for him uh because they're very funny yeah but um i have a story that i did not prep that i just remembered hearing dad talk about the that that i was told um last week uh by my friend olivia who was on our podcast and um our friend yanai they live in san francisco um and told me a story about a place in, I think, San Jose um, that is called the Winchester Mystery House. Oh, yeah. Do you guys know about that? I yes, I do. I just remembered it because Dad was talking about buildings being built mm-hmm. to either repel or attract ghosts. Yeah, I actually thought about that. I was wondering he was going to talk about that. My fr- so my friends just told me about this place I'd never heard of um, that is apparently, it's a place that you can go now, and it's a really weird building that was constructed in in like super weird ways it never had a master ground plan um she just kept uh building weir- oh, I have sarah heard that. sarah yes. winchester built it or you know she didn't build it by hand but it's a she mansion had it built. and she was the widow of william winchester the of winchester guns the firearms magnate and she her like infant child died and a medium told her that she should like go build a place to protect her from the spirits of all of the people killed with Winchester firearms that they were like going to get her. And so she went to San Jose and it has, yeah, no master building plan. She just kept building weird additions to it. Um, There's, there's quote unquote, I'm, 
on the Wikipedia right now because I just remembered this. Uh, doors and stairs that go nowhere. Um, windows overlooking other rooms. And apparently she incorporated like the number 13 into it like a lot and like nice. spider web imagery and all the windows. And she was trying to repel the ghost because she was super scared that the ghosts of all the people who were killed with Winchester like rifles yeah. were going to come yeah. kill her. And that's a place you can go to now. Um Let's go. I, I kind of want to go, but it's all the way in San Jose. Next time we're in San Jose. I know. Um, but I just I just remembered that. Yeah, that's um, a good story. So that's not. They my actually story, made a movie though. about it recently Ooh. with Helen Mirren playing Sarah. That's Winchester. what that's about. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought that movie looks boring, but then the story <laughs> that I just told is very interesting. So perhaps it's not boring. <laughs> Probably not. Um, Maybe this, you just make it interesting. Yeah. The story that I intended to tell, though, had a really good lead-in from Dad's thing, but both of the things had to have lead-in. So uh, it's I, yeah, I, I, that I, ghost ship has sailed. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna bring us back, back in time to groove times, <laughs> the time of groove, <laughs> groovy times. Okay. Um, that's not groove, but it's 1977, is what I'm trying to say. Um, it's late summer. It's August of 1977. So Heather's four. Heather's four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, we are in Enfield, London mm. uh, at 284 Green Street, which is a council house um, in London. And the people who live there are Peggy Hodge, H- Hogsden. Peggy Hogsden, who's a single mother of four children. Um, and two of these children are the girls, Margaret and Janet. And your story really reminded they are 13 and 11, wow, respectively. Yeah. And mine were Maggie, Margaret, right. and uh, Kate. S- yeah. So Margaret, who's 13, and Janet, who are 11, start saying that they've heard knocking on the walls and their their mom, Peggy, says that she's seen furniture moving with no discernible reason why. Um, and so a police constable comes and she says that she saw a chair move and didn't know how it moved. So this becomes a sensation. And over 18 months between 1977 and 1979, more than 30 people, including like neighbors around, but also a bunch of journalists and a a bunch of psychic researchers or parapsychologists all come to see what's going on. And they see heavy furniture that's moving on its own. Objects are flying around the room. Uh, They see Margaret and Janet levitating um, and they hear the knocking. Um, And... Janet, uh, the 11 year old, starts to have different spirits speak through her. One of them is a, a man with a gruff voice uh, coming out of her body uh, that calls himself Bill Wilkins. Um, there's also other spirits, but that was the one I think that was the most prevalent. Um, two of their fish, like little pet fish, die, and Bill Wilkins says he electrocuted them with spirit energy. Mm. Um, so. Maurice Gross and Guy Lyon Playfair of, I guess, the British denomination of the Society for Psychical Research uh, come and become like the the lead investigators on this case from the, you know, psychic side. Um, And they conclude that it is genuine. There is an actual entity. Um, Maybe the girls are exaggerating a little. Maybe some of it is made up, but there's something there that is like for sure a ghost. Um... 
And Ed and Lorraine Warren of the Conjuring movies, if you watch those, who were American demonologists come and they say that this is supernatural. Um, They also conclude the same thing. Um, They said, and I quote, this Enfield case makes Amityville look like a playhouse. Um, And then there's some, like there's a lot of people here trying to research it. Um, And so at some point there's video cameras set up and they catch Janet doing some tricks she bends spoons herself um maurice gross uh who is one of the first ones says that she she's like banging a broom handle on the ceiling um and so they get caught out a little bit and janet and margaret the girls are like okay we were pranking the journalists but guy lion playfair uh goes no, and makes <laughs> makes them retract their confession because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to look stupid in front mm-hmm. of all the other psychical researchers. Right, it right. So he's well like, he's like, no, take it back. Um, this is real because we like really, really they're invested in uh, it being super, real, right? Um, but like a bunch of things start to come out. Other psychic investigators are like, see her like doing ventriloquism or vocal tricks to make it sound like a man is speaking through her. Um, their American magician, Milborn Christopher, uh, said that the poltergeist was nothing more than the antics of a little girl who wanted to cause trouble and who was very, very clever. Um, and Janet, like, I guess maybe in photographs or something, like, was saying that she was levitating but she's clearly jumping on her bed and right. she was like a gymnast or something yeah. so she made it look really real yeah um and apparently uh ed warren is called notorious for exaggerating and even making up incidents in such cases often transforming a haunting case into one of demonic possession mm-hmm. like god this guy calls hauntings demonic possessions can't <laughs> trust anything he says um but uh so so it's pretty, you know, caught out as mostly Janet uh, playing tricks, but Guy Lyon Playfair, like, really needs it to not. He writes a whole book about how it was real. Um, and, Even when they're trying to recant. Right. And so chronicled in this book is a story of a medium who came to the house with her husband um, for anonymity's purpose, just called Annie and George. Um, who had a seance there uh, while they were all trying to research it with the mom, Peggy, and with Janet. And she sat in a chair in the middle of the room and she and like her husband were doing the seance and he was the one asking questions and I guess the spirit was like inhabiting her body. He tells the spirit to leave and Annie starts to moan, Gozer, Gozer, help me. Oh. Um, and the husband says later, this Gozer is a nasty piece of work, a sort of a black magic chap. Oh. So Dan Aykroyd hears about that, writes the name Gozer into the script. Yeah. Um, from the famous case. Right, because that was only in 77, so that wasn't yeah. that long before the movie came out. Um, but this uh, was the like direct inspiration for the movie Poltergeist also. That was also a house on Green Street mm-hmm. with bent cutlery and moving chairs and all of that. Um, and it, they made a 1992 BBC mockumentary called Ghost Watch that was totally based on it um and ghost watch ended up kind of inspiring the whole genre of found footage movies like Blair ah. witch project and stuff like that um and the conjuring 2 is exactly about this yeah. it's about ed and lorraine warren investigating enfield but in real life they only visited the house like two or three times right near the end of when it was winding down anyways mm-hmm. um and 
they were wrong about it, but it's a very cool story, and it's apparently where the name Gozer came from. Very cool. Not a I didn't know that. Sumerian yeah, god, yeah. I guess. At one point, I did some research into, I don't know, you know, ghosts and and possessions and rapping and all this spiritualism. And I read something about why it is psychologically that it often is um, adolescent girls who... Right. who Because we're more imaginative and cool. Well, also, I think I there's... we. I'm 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we are. And I think, you know, it, it was something about... It's a way for girls who are, at, you know, especially in the past, like so repressed in so many ways, mm-hmm. you know, sexually repressed, their powers repressed. And so when they start to hit adolescence, they're, they're, they're being turned into something that men around them want and not being able to be exactly what they want. And this, you know, it, the idea that like ghosts are attracted or spirits are attracted to that or that, that the girls are, you know, like uh, acting out in ways that are sideways or secret or getting, you know, like showing some power, even taking on the voice of a man or the voice of the devil and then ordering, telling people what they can do or like, I have magic powers now and I'm going to tell you, you know, like, like because their power is being stripped away from them in weird ways at that age, they're, they're developing this otherworldly power that they can then claim to. So I I think that's a, an interesting reason why this often seems to happen. uh, These possessions seem to happen to girls. And, you know, the Salem witch trials and everything, too, is, I mean, kind of different political circumstances. In those days, it's like, and we're going to kill you for it (laughs) instead of let's make, let's uh, have you go on tours and come to our English uh, tea parties. (laughs) Yeah. Well, are you ready for some fun, fast trivia? I'm rapping for it. As long as it's fun (laughs) and fast. Okay. Um, Right. So this was written by Dan Aykroyd and then Harold Ramis signed on to help. And he yeah, he had worked on National Lampoon's Animal House, which had John Belushi in it. And Vinkman was going to be written for John Belushi, but then he passed away during writing. But they based um, Slimer. Uh, all, like the eating gags off of something that John Belushi did in Animal yeah, House. That's yeah. kind of a tribute to him. Um, Winston was meant to be Eddie Murphy. Right. They wanted Eddie right. Murphy and then it was a much larger role and then Eddie Murphy passed on it and they they signed, you know, the actual actor who's in it now. Ernie Hudson. Right. Um, and then like cut it down a lot to right. be they a gave a lot role. of his funny lines to the three other actors right, right. they were gonna he was gonna come in like much earlier i think at the hotel maybe and then they wrote him a smaller bit which i'm like it's, it's okay that it's not eddie murphy you can still have the part can you exist. imagine though with eddie murphy that would have been so many funny guys yeah. in one one movie could one wow. movie ripped to ernie hudson <laughs> sorry ernie hudson <laughs> I mean, Eddie Murphy. I mean, right? yeah. Yeah. Um, the the ad that they made, they made an actual... <laughs> Ivan Reitman, like, to promo the movie, uh, made an ad that was basically just, like, the one that they did yeah. in the movie um, and had an actual number to call in. And with kind of... They would get, like, a voicemail recording. Um, I think of, like, Dan Aykroyd being like, we're out busting ghosts right now, but, you know, leave us a message. And they got a 1,000 calls an hour, 24 days a week, for six weeks. Oh. Wait, 24... 24, 24 hours a day. Hours a day. Every I think you said day. 24 days a week. 24 <laughs> days a week. 
for six weeks. That's a that's a that's yeah, a, but real. a thousand calls an hour. I mean, because I would call it. I would call it for sure. Yeah, for sure. I would call it a thousand times an hour. I would call it right now. I would call and it I'm twenty-four going days to. a week. I'm on my phone right now. Um, and the director Ivan Reitman did the uh, Zul Dana voice. Oh, cool. Um, the terror dogs, which mm-hmm. is I guess what they're called, those were real statue designs from an old church in. Philadelphia. Oh. Um, I love those. I think they look so cool. Yeah, we should find that church. The fire station, which I love and I wish I could hang out in. Um, you okay, actually Dan can. It's, it's, <laughs> I am. It's fire station number 23 in LA. It, the outside of it. The ins, or the, the inside. The outside was in Tribeca. But it was also um, in... It was it was like a, a filming location that ended up being used for a lot of stuff after this. So the mask, A Team, Flatliners, Big Trouble in Little China, all just had this firehouses, different places because they loved cool. it. That's um, cool. And the jail scene was filmed in a prison that was actually said to be haunted. Um, and mm. apparently, everyone got really creeped out during filming, <laughs> and the dailies had scratches all over them that they didn't know where it came from. And so they were like super relieved when they were done <laughs> filming there. So be good. For goodness sake, whoa, somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Another part filmed at a bad place. Um, it was the the uh, school parts, you know, the university parts were actually filmed at Columbia. Yeah. I have to say that because I go to NYU and we have a rivalry with Columbia. <laughs> Columbia thinks they have a rivalry with us. Come on. Um, and the uh, experiments that Vinkman are doing there, <laughs> experiments, let's not, you know, right. say that it's the scientific method or anything. The... the thing that he uses to hit on the hot girl there are based on the Rhine experiments, which have the same kind of cards too, but they, I think, tried to be a little more scientific about it. Like they wouldn't say whether you were right or wrong because they thought that would, sometimes um, they would make them sit in different rooms or they would make it so they couldn't see the person, um, asking them, you know, uh, trying to do all sorts of things to... Parasite. Psychological right, research. Right, psychological <laughs> research. So that was that was based on an actual thing that people did, um, but not quite so real. They love. They wanted to just make a bunch of funny gadgets, right, and gizmos, and they were like, the funnier it is, the better. So one of them is literally just a colander with wires sticking. It out. is, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I always watch them, like that just looks like a colander. Like it is. It's it- just a colander. <laughs> the one that with shows wires. shows the inside of uh, of. Dana's brain oh, yeah. says when she's telling the truth and then Rick. later on they put it on uh, Rick they, Moranis. they put it on Rick Moranis and it actually shows a picture of the yeah. uh, of the the, the bear lion yeah. the monster whatever <laughs> thing it is um, for you know what happened to some real life people because of this William Atherton the uh, the asshole yeah. from oh, right. the environmental safety agency like fuck him for wanting to protect the environment yeah. um, who was also the dickish teacher in real genius yeah. and also the dickish uh tv journalist in die hard he yeah really got pigeonholed but after this movie he was just like hated like people tried to fight him in uh, bars yeah. and like there were school buses of children who yelled hey dickless at him on Aww. the street which is he he's not that Bad and that's the it's, least bad character no, but he's he, played. But he movie. is so good at playing a, he, he a yeah. dick that he like brings it on himself. Asshole. He brings it on himself. I love him and, as an actor. Um, on the flip side of that, Ernie Hudson 
you know, people started to, you know, they loved him. And, but the neighbor, a, a store owner in his neighborhood gave out his address <laughs> to fans who asked for it. So he had to move because so many people Aww. came to his house oh, to try to visit him. He wasn't ready for that. Which kind is like of fame. sweet, but it's also you don't yeah. want people at your house all no, the time. No, don't go to someone's house. Um, Harold Ramis wasn't originally going to be in the movie he he didn't necessarily like know he was gonna be egon they had a lot of people that they were considering including i think like christopher walken they had a lot of weird names i think he might have made a good egon yeah but but he ended up feeling like he was like the only one that was he was great he was yeah. so good but he also he never smiles in the movie and that, <laughs> that was like a specific choice yeah. it was like egon is never gonna smile and i think the name the first name egon was based off like a foreign exchange student at his school from like <laughs> i think like a slavic country yeah. or something um a couple more bits of trivia the montage scenes of them like driving the ectomobile around new york city they really did that and like mostly without a film permit for any of that and they really just like drove it around and like got you know hassled by people and yeah i think that's good footage um the okay i'm gonna sound stupid for not knowing this but i didn't know it i just assumed because I saw Ghostbusters when I was a little kid. So I hear Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. I'm like, okay, that sounds, that's not real. That's not a real brand. Did you guys, did you know yes. that that's not, well, they tried to make it seem so like, a, like the Michelin Man, or like they wanted to make it seem really right. like it could just be a brand. But I, I grew up watching Ghostbusters before I knew what brands of marshmallows did and didn't exist. And I always, for my whole life, assumed that that was just a real thing, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. I did not know until doing research for this a couple days ago. I'm outing myself as a seat-in-my-pants researcher. Um, <laughs> the Stay Puft Stay Puff Marshmallow Man is a fictional brand, you guys. I don't think wow. that's news to anybody you else. don't say. <laughs> um, I'm floored. My my last piece of trivia, which I think is really fun, um, the original title that Dan Aykroyd was going to use for his crazy weird version that was uh, doing a lot, um, I really like, which is Ghost Smashers. Ghost Smashers. Ghost Smashers. I know, like it kind of works, doesn't it? Who are you going to call? Ghost Smashers. Oh, that was recorded by, I think, like Ivan Reitman, I think, his like friends or like his girlfriend and her friends because they just needed people who could do it last minute um very good maybe it will be they're continuing <sighs> to make ghostbusters sure and then <laughs> huey lewis got nailed for uh for copyright infringement on that song with i want a new drug mm. i think actually huey lewis was gonna write their theme song and then didn't and then they wrote another one that maybe sounded kind of Huey Lewis-esque. And then there was weird copyright issues. So Zoe, are you going to have a ghost song for us this for I, this episode? I am. I'm not sure which one yet because I've actually written multiple songs about ghosts. But I'm going to pick one of them and I'm going to play it for you. And it's probably going to be more serious because I... You take ghosts very seriously. I take ghosts very seriously. Yeah, yeah. Wait, can we do a little poll? Uh-huh. Do you guys believe even a little in ghosts? No. Eh, I mean, I'm probably going to save some of my stories for the podcast, but I mean, for the uh, mini-sode, this is the podcast, but um, 
Wait, wait. Right this, now, right this here. Is this is the podcast. I would say I have. I don't believe, but I'm open to other people's stories. I want to believe. I wouldn't no, go so far sure. so far as to say I want to believe. I, I'm just open to other people's experiences. I I don't believe in ghosts, but I really hope that they're real because that I think would make the world a much more fun and cool place. I just have yet to be convinced. I hope it's not real. Send in your cool ghost stories, guys, and try to convince me. <laughs> Tweet us <laughs> with ghost stories. Like Film Fam, inspired by true events, subscribe to hear more stories that inspired our favorite films. For photos and links from the show and other shenanigans, follow us on Instagram at filmfampodcast, on Twitter at filmfam underscore podcast, and on Facebook at filmfam inspired by true events. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or films whose inspiration you would like us to explore, you can be the first person to email us at filmfampodcast at gmail.com. Not entirely true. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> thank you, Zoe. And thank you all for listening. See you next time. Bye. So. Stained and rocking window which the wind blows through in streams And by the creaking stair a sign beware Not all are dead here A sudden gust of cold The scent of old The feel of dread here And tell me once again There's nothing real here to be scared of Stare a sign beware, no one leaves here living.
can't rest and you're so unforgiving.